Good morning, I'm not Travis. I am Josh. I'm one of the elders here at New Life Church, and it's a, a great privilege to open the word with you this morning. We're continuing our series, as Christian mentioned, in the Psalms, and uh, we're going to be looking at Psalms 52 this morning. And I assume that most of you have a similar experience, a similar feeling that I have, that it often looks like good is not winning. It often looks like the world is falling more and more apart, that evil uh, is coming out ahead over and over again, and we get just kind of this feeling in the pit of our stomach that, that things aren't going right. And maybe you have this experience because of some personal situations. Maybe there's someone in your life who's coming after you, they're, they're speaking lies about you, they're, they're stabbing you in the back any number of scenarios, or maybe you just happened to turn on the news and you just got depressed. These are similar situations that we've all had. And I'm hoping this morning that with this psalm, we can be encouraged in this truth. So if you walk away with nothing else this morning, this is what I want you to get from this psalm. When confronted by those who love evil, we remain confident that the steadfast love of God prevails. So for those of you taking notes, I'm going to say it again so you can write it down. When confronted by those who love evil, we remain confident that the steadfast love of God prevails. Now to understand how we can remain confident in these situations when it looks like evil is winning, I want to start by telling you the context of this psalm. Where is this coming from? Where is David in the moment that he writes this? And as we've been going through the Psalms, we've been getting bits and pieces of David's story. And so this morning, I'm going to try to try to give you kind of just a big overview of what happened. So David is, is anointed to become king after Saul. He doesn't know when, doesn't know how that's going to happen, but he's anointed by Samuel. If you're, if you're wanting to know more about this, this is in 1 Samuel. We're going to be looking specifically at 19 through 22 is the context for this psalm kind of leading up to it. But this morning I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell you the story. I'm just going to tell you the story. So David is anointed to take over Saul because Saul has displeased God and so it's time for a new king. David gets anointed to do that. David comes and slays Goliath, and if you're going to be the next guy taking over for the king, you also probably don't want to be the hero that takes down Goliath, because the existing king is not so pleased with you. It looks like you're trying to supplant him, even though David was gracious and not trying to do that at all. And Saul, throughout this, throughout this exchange with David, is becoming more and more jealous of David, right? And David becomes best friends with his son, Saul tries to kill him, so David marries his daughter, which, let's just say if you're trying to get on someone's good side, marrying their daughter is probably not the way to go. So Saul tries to kill him again, and Jonathan warns him of this plot to kill David. And David runs away, and uh, he comes to the city of Nob, and he, he comes to the priest who's there, and he, he ran without anything. He's got no... No provisions. He's got no, you know, no armor, no anything like that. And so he asks the priest to to provide him food. This is that story where David eats the the holy bread in the in the temple. This is also when he gets Goliath's sword. An interesting detail. And he asks the priest to petition on his behalf. Okay, so all of that happens, and David runs off, 
and is hiding in, in caves. And Saul is really upset because everyone around him, he feels like, has deceived him, has been in David's corner the whole time. And so Saul is pretty upset about all of this and quite angry. And he starts looking for information. Where did David go? How did he escape this plot? And in comes this character of Doeg. Doeg is an Edomite. He is the chief herdsman uh, for Saul. And we see in 1 Samuel 22, 9 through 10, this is our introduction um, uh, to Doeg. He, ra- he raises his hand. He was with the servants. And this is what he says. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Elimelech, and to the son of Ahitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and he gave him provisions, and he gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. See, while David was, was there, he kind of misrepresented his situation to the priests. He didn't tell them he was running from Saul. He didn't tell them that Saul was trying to kill him. Uh, he uh, just didn't see fit to, to bring them in on that. So Saul calls Ahimelech and questions him. And the priest states that he had no idea what was going on with David. He had no idea David was a fugitive. Uh, and he had just treated him like normal. Now, David was the, you know, soon to be king, uh, married to the current king's daughter, best friends with the king's son, uh, war hero and captain of the bodyguard. So the priest kind of welcomed him. He's kind of a big deal, right? And took care of him and brought him in. And, uh, this, makes Saul furious because Doeg represented it as the priest wrapping his arms around David and helping David get out of the situation. And Saul is furious and turns to his bodyguard and says, kill the priests of God. They refuse. So he turns to Doeg. And this is in 1 Samuel 22, 18 through 19. This is what Saul turns and says to Doeg. You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. 85 priests. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey and sheep. He put to the sword. Doeg, the chief herdsman, saw David deceive the priest and make his escape from Saul. Then he twists what he saw to make the priests co-conspirators with David. And then finally, he murders the priests and then goes down to their town and kills everyone else. Except for one son, Abathar, who escapes. And this is in 1 Samuel 22, 20 through 23. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. Doeg was a man who had a reputation. David knew that Doeg the Edomite was there and that he had occasioned the death of these priests. And this is what sets the context 
the stage for Psalm 52. So would you please read with me as we go through Psalm 52. To the choir master, a mascal of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. So this morning I want to work through the psalm in three sections. We're going to start with verses 1 through 3 with the accusation. Then verses 4 through 5 with the judgment. And finally 6 through 9 with the response. So looking at verses 1 through 3 with the accusation. Why do you boast of O mighty man, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. Say law. You see, this is a this is the portrait of a man like Doeg. He boasts in evil. It's not just that this is someone who does evil. It's someone who glories in doing evil. This is a man who is not only unashamed of his action, he not only justifies his evil, but he magnifies it and places value in doing it. And you can see a little bit of, of sarcasm in the almighty oh, man, right? Almighty oh, man. I mean, you must be really strong. You took out 85 unarmed priests in an unarmed village. Congratulations. This is a, this is not a, uh, descriptor necessarily of, of who he is as a person as much as, as it is, um, painting him in a certain light. It's just, you think you're really something? You really think you're mighty? Seriously? You are evil, and you are magnifying that evil that you took out on innocent people. And what I find interesting is, is David's response to the rhetorical question. Right? His response can seem a little bit strange. Right? He comes back and, and after he says, Why do you boast an evil, almighty man? His response to that is, The steadfast love of God endures all day. What do you think that means? David is pitting... Doeg against God. It's not Doeg against David. It's not Doeg against anyone else. It's Doeg against the God of the Bible. And this God is described in Exodus 34, 6-7 when God reveals Himself to Moses 
This is the God we're talking about. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is who he's pitting Doeg against. He's saying, O mighty man, do you not understand who you're going up against? The God, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. You see, David is, in the first verse, is providing us with a pair of lenses to see the world through. And and it's used to see the rest of the psalm, and he uses it by juxtaposing this evil man with the Lord. It would be like if I gave Travis 20 bucks and I said, Doeg or God? That's what David's asking. I already know Travis's answer. Uh, (laughs) But that's what it's like, right? He's setting up in the context of what happened. He's saying, you can put your money on Doeg or you can put your money on the steadfast love of God and see how the world really is. How it really is. And then he goes into the portrait of Doeg. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. This word destruction means literally to create a yawning gulf. To create a yawning gulf. And I don't know how many of you have ever ever worked with a box cutter or another sharp razor like that and you're cutting and you nick yourself and you don't know it for however many minutes until you start seeing blood everywhere and you're like, what's going on? Like a sharp razor are his words. His words cause damage and you don't even know they were there. He cuts through. It's so smooth. It's so sharp that it creates massive damage before you're even aware that you're cut. And then a worker of deceit. This is someone who puts effort into deceiving people. Effort. Some of us deceive people out of panic. (laughs) Right? Something comes up, oh no, i got to get myself out of this. Not this one. This one works to find ways to be deceptive. And then in verse 3, you love evil more than good, lying more than speaking what is right. Selah. Notice this man doesn't just love evil. He loves evil more than he loves good. It's like saying, oh, cake is good. You know what's better? Rat poison. Doesn't make any sense. It's not that he doesn't like good things or love good things. It's that he loves evil things more than he loves good things. And I was reminded as I was preparing this sermon and talking through it with with different men that one of the main characteristics of Hebrew poetry is this ideal rhyme going back and forth. And you see it throughout this psalm, but specifically verse 3 really stands out. You have this first idea, he loves evil more than good, lying more than speaking what is right. This rhyme. Given the option, this is the type of man who would just tell a lie rather than speaking the truth. Even when there's no need. It's hard in the the story, but there's really no reason for Doeg to do this. Right? 
He could have just said, I saw David at the, at the temple. But instead, he implicates Elimelech in the, in the plot and makes him a co-conspirator. Why? Because he'd rather tell a lie than speak the truth. And then David says, just stop and think about that. Think about a man like that. And look at a man like that through the lens of the steadfast love of God. David then continues with the judgment in verses 4 through 5. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. David sums up the description of this person. This person whose values are so distorted that they love everything that is twisted, perverted, and corrupt. They love to think, to speak, and to do evil. He sums them up with this word. You are a deceitful tongue. It's a name. He nicknames Doeg, deceitful tongue. I really have no idea in this story what Doeg gets from being so evil. It's not like Saul turns around and gives him more power, gives him more money. We don't see anything like that written down. He just loves evil. He literally devours and swallows up everything around him. People like this stand directly opposed to God's standard of good. So then David turns and judges this wicked man, gives him the name Deceitful Tongue. And then my favorite two words in in the Bible appear in this psalm. But God. Just look through Scripture, and if you read everything that has but God, you will be enriched. But God, this God who appears in verse 1, and we looked at, at Exodus as well, and this God who is abounding in steadfast love, but who will not tolerate evil forever. He will not tolerate evil like deceitful tongue. He will in his time unleash judgment on evil. So this picture of breaking down is literally like demolishing a building. Anyone seen a building demolished recently? Anyone see the bridge that was demolished this week? That was incredible. It explodes, collapses into nothing. It's just gone. And this picture of of snatching out is like snatching a single coal out of a fire with some tongs. The coal eventually dies and grows cold. This snatching also brings to mind someone who is taken and drug out of their tent and displaced and becomes homeless. And uh, the third thing God is seen as doing in this is that He will rip you out of the ground of the living and throw you down. Like a tree being ripped out of the ground and thrown back down. This powerful, self-made, evil man saw no need for God or any need 
for help from God. And so now, on his judgment day, he must face God on his own strength. And we position again the self-made evil man against the steadfast love of God and what that means. So think about this. This is a complete righteous annihilation. Ultimately, this evil, deceitful tongue will be forcibly excised from the land of the living. With their death, evil thought, with their death, evil thoughts, evil speech, and evil acts will cease forever. So we have this portrait, we have this judgment that's coming for that evil man. And then we see David giving us the response to this situation. Starting in verses 6 through 7, the righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him saying, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. What's your reaction to the judgment section above? This is not my initial reaction to the judgment section above. Typically, most of us are going to fall into two camps or some, you know, in some variation, way or form. Some of us are going to be either horrified or we're going to be vindictive. We're going to look at the evil man and we're going to see the judgment poured out on him and we're either wanting, not wanting to think about the righteous wrath of God being poured out on anybody or we're going to be like, yes, more. You're going to fall into one of those two camps. And yet that's not really the response here. The righteous response is not really either of those. The righteous response is to see and to fear. When you see that judgment poured out on someone, there should be this fear that wells up in you. Because but for the grace of God, that's me. That is me. When you have to watch that judgment, there is an awe that will come over you when you see the righteous wrath of God revealed against evil. And you're going to realize you don't stack up either. But the righteous, those who are loved steadfastly by God, it then transitions from that seeing and that fearing, it transitions to laughing. And this is not the vindictive laugh. It's not malicious laughter. It's more of an ironic laugh. Like, do you see that guy? That guy who thought he could save himself. Oh, mighty priest-killing man. Right? The righteous learn from seeing the judgments of God. We see that those who live and act independently, who trust in themselves and better themselves at the expense of others, will ultimately be brought down. They may think they are strong and powerful as they swallow up all the good around them, but the day will come when they will be swallowed up and will be no more. Now, David did not see this judgment happen to Doeg. He didn't witness it. He didn't see any of that. 
but he remained confident that one day it would be. And he remained confident because of the character of God. And so we look at verses 8 through 9. This is what David says. It turns now from the righteous to David. But I am like a a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. You see, finally the storm passes a little bit in this psalm. It's pretty depressing up to this point. And the storm finally passes and there's this ray of hope that comes crashing through as David now contrasts himself to Doeg and by extension the righteous to those who love evil. Those who love themselves will be uprooted, but those who trust in the steadfast love of God will be planted like a tree in the house of God. And the location, this being planted in the house of God, is significant because it underscores that his life is secure in God by faith in a sacred and inaccessible place. He is safe from the lasting damage in that place. Evil cannot uproot him. He is planted in a place where evil cannot survive. In the steadfast love of God. So the explanation of this fruitfulness uh, brings to mind Psalms 1, verses 2 through 3. But this is the, the description uh, of of a person of a person, right? This is the um, sorry, my bad. So as we look at at Psalm one, we see the description of a man who is delighting in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. What makes the tree fruitful? where it's planted. It's not the tree itself. David saying, it's not me that makes me fruitful. It's where I'm planted. I'm planted in the house of God through the steadfast love of God. You see, the explanation for his fruitfulness and his security is faith. I trusted in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. And as he builds on that trust, it inspires him to speak out in thanksgiving, to to break out and into worship. And he turns to praise because he's convinced that everything he, all of his needs have already been met by God's love. So he says, I thank you because, I thank you because it is done. What is done? His permanent deliverance from people like Doeg and his permanent deliverance from the wrath of God. It's in that confidence that he will wait for God to accomplish all that he has promised. You see, David is waiting. David is waiting to become king. And Saul is chasing him down and trying to kill him. And he stands there in the steadfast love of God and says, eventually, God will make this work out. I trust 
and his love. And I think it's interesting, too, that David says he will wait with people. Who will he wait with? The godly. Or the people for whom God has given his steadfast love. You might call the people he's waiting with the steadfast loved ones. He will wait with the steadfast loved ones. David was waiting. He was waiting to be king of God's chosen people. He was the anointed covenant representative appointed by God to be the next king. And he was grossly mistreated by Saul and by Doeg. So he was hiding in caves and running for his life. And when he was confronted with this situation, he says, I will remain confident because of God's steadfast love for his people. David saw the world through the corrective lenses of God's loyal love. And I personally struggle with that. I struggle to see what's going on around me through this idea that God's love endures forever. And that means that no matter how out of control my life feels, how out of control the world around me feels, God will not be thwarted. And this is the truth of the matter for us. Many years after this story, you have another appointed covenant representative coming in from the line of David. Another king coming into the story. And that king was Jesus. And he too was mistreated and was killed. But the steadfast love of God endures. And this is what we see. John 3, 16-21 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already because He has not believed in the only name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. If you have placed your faith in the salvation of Jesus, you have come into the light. You are not a Doeg version in any way, shape, or form. You may have started out there, but you are no longer in there. And you, like David, can plant yourself in the house of God where you are safe and secure regardless of what is going on around you. And so, when we look around us and we find our faith failing, we need to put on the corrective lenses of God's steadfast love and know that no evil will ultimately prevail over God's plan. We can and we should remain confident that the steadfast love of God endures forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the confidence we get from your word. I thank you that you are um, a God who saw fit to give us um, your scriptures, to send us the Holy Spirit so that in our times of trouble, we can open your word to psalms like this 
and we can be reminded that your plan will ultimately succeed. Regardless of how it feels for us now, regardless of what's going on in our life, we will ultimately end up forever being saved by you and being able to live with you forever in eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. And we thank you for that truth this morning. Amen.